One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. So Evgeny Donskoy is a Davis Cup champion. And that is because Russia are the Davis Cup champions of 2021. Thanks in small part to Evgeny Donskoy, in very large part to Daniil Medvedev, uh, in slightly smaller but still large part to, to Andrei Rublev and some assists from Aslan Karatsev and possibly Karen Hashanov uh, for, for doing the gears uh, what, in a doubles match a couple of days ago. What role giving to Evgeny Donskoy in this situation? Just... Just cheerleading, right? Cheerleading. Hey, he held he held that trophy aloft very proudly. He was not at all sheepish about it. Uh, Shamil Tarpashev is Davis Cup champion once again. He has been in situ since nineteen seventy four, um, which is just extraordinary. Uh, and they are very very worthy winners of the title after beating Croatia two robbers to zero in a final in which the exhibition dead rubber doubles was not played. So hooray for that. Worthy champions, David. Yeah, very worthy champions. Uh, and that adds to their Billie Jean King Cup triumph as well. Um, I mean, they're, they're a heck of a nation in terms of tennis achievements, uh, even if they are playing under the, uh, the initials RTF. Uh, but you know they're they're excellent players. They it reminds me now that how how close they were to defeat in that podcast when we were doing the the show when Feliciana Lopez was firing it up that night and they'd lost the first rubber and they were so close to defeat that night. Um, but and they kind of got better from there because Rublev really sorted himself out thereafter. Um, and I, I don't know who it was on Twitter who who came up with the the most marvelous fact that Evgeny Donskoy has now added Davis Cup champion to victories over Federer and Borg. Uh, but a uh, very great stat, I thought, uh, that. It was it was Leo Borg, 6-1-6 um, six, six love in Marbella. But uh, still, not, not a bad little resume, even if a little bit tenuous. That was an extremely niche dad joke, David. <laughs> what? It's just, it's just uh, t- tickled me. <laughs> Yes, okay. Only tickled me and fellow dads of the uh, late 40s and early 50s. Matt, (laughs) I mean, save us. I was genuinely for a moment thinking, how old is Evgeny Donskoy? (laughs) (laughs) Thinking, I know Borg made that attempt to come back. When was that? In the 90s? 
I thought it was the real Borg as well until I just looked it up. And I don't mean that Leo Borg's not a real Borg. You know <laughs> what I mean? Sorry, in, in, in attempts to save us, I've led us further down this path. Um, all I would add is that there was a nice little fact that they're the fourth team to do the uh, Billie Jean King Cup Davis Cup double in the same year. The other the other nations to have done that being Australia, USA, and most recently the Czech Republic in 2012. So, you know, it's not often that that you get such such complete domination of the main team events in tennis, and just speaks to the the strength and depth that Russia have at the moment. So so many top players and their players showing up for these events, which which is a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rublev and Medvedev yesterday, they they showed up big time. Uh, Rublev went first against uh, against Borna Goyo and 6-4-7-6. Look, I mean, competitive sets in both of these singles matches. It's not that there weren't moments in either where it wasn't, you know, where it was tight and tense and competitive. And yet there weren't many moments, I don't think, in either match where you really thought that that the the Russian competitor wasn't going to win. Perhaps that's doing Bornegoyo a little bit of a disservice because at, at the end of that second set, he he had that momentum, didn't didn't he? And and we've seen how powerful he can be when he gets that gets that momentum behind him. And it looked like Rublev was right on the edge of doing the thing that we've been describing Rublev doing. All, all week, well, for a few weeks now, going back to the the ATP Finals, and he managed to hold it in and mature at ju- just in the nick of time, didn't mm. he? It's like he's been listening to us, David. It was, it was like he was aware of the conversation that we and everybody else has about him, and was just determined to to not do that and to prove everybody wrong that he ha- that he is a grown up and that he can handle all this and he's not going to have a strop and and just storm off in a half. And he didn't. Um, the I two things that occurred to me. What the the one moment that I thought Goya has a chance was when he was love forty down in the second set. He was he'd already lost the first set and he's love forty down and he and he won one point and got to fifteen forty with a good point and a fist pump. And I just thought at that moment, if he finds a way out of this game, this could turn. And he did find a way out of the game and he held on and he got to sort of three all. And it felt like if he could get the serve going and, and hold sufficiently well to get to the tiebreak, he might still turn this. Um, but the difference was he was always playing catch-up. Rublev, even though if he was ahead in score on serve, Rublev's service games were going so quickly. They were they were Medvedev or Federer-like or Djokovic-like, the way he was just rolling his arm over and winning them 40-love game. And everyone that Goya had was a, was a, a saga. And so... Yeah, it, it caught up with him. And actually, if if we're doing either player a disservice, I think I think it's doing Chilich a disservice because of how he played in the first set against Medvedev. I thought he was a real threat to Medvedev. He played pretty much as close to his best as he can, and the forehand held up. Medvedev was peppering it relentlessly, like sort of prodding him with a stick to see if he could wind him up. And and Chilich's forehand stood up to it until it didn't. Until it really mattered, though. Yeah. And that's the, that's exactly it. And there was the one forehand where he, which he just sort of leant on and f- pushed, tried to re-divert mm. it. It's coming cross-court at him. He tries to re-divert it down the line and he just edged it into the tram lines because it's not that natural, reliable, swinging 
follow through through the ball. It's that sort of quirky little flick of the wrist that that he's got going on with that forehand that never feels like it's completely under his control. Mm, Matt, you were in the in the stadium. What was your balance between media center and uh, and stadium for? proceedings what did your day look like yesterday my day my week my tournament 100% media center unfortunately just I mean I I went out a little bit for the uh, Russia Spain tie because I had that that tie off and I soaked up some of the atmosphere there but otherwise just had to be in the media center watching it on the screen unfortunately just just the role I was doing here meant that that was the only real way I could follow these matches and keep up with everything. Um, oh, Matt, bring us a flavour of the atmosphere in the media <laughs> centre. <laughs> was it Was it busier? Did you have any more empty, cavernous and Alexander yes, Bublik one-on-ones? Dream, did your dreams come true, Matt? Uh, I was I was joined by a couple of journalists. We, uh, we didn't quite fill up the room, but we at least got to share the questions around, which I don't know whether that was nice or not. It, the, there is something quite nice about being able to ask exactly what you want to ask. Um, but in terms of those matches yesterday, I completely agree with that assessment of Goya Rublev. That was exactly how I felt. I really thought Rublev stepped up in that second set tie break when he was 5-4 down. He hit a forehand passing shot up the line and then he hit a forehand winner from the baseline just when he needed it, he came up with his best tennis. And that was really, really impressive, I think, because he was stressed. He was tight through that set. Um, Goyo, incidentally, obviously, you know, he's a player we'll be looking out for now, I think, won't we, in, in 2022 to see whether he can build on this. In his own words, there is a big difference between Goyo, the Davis Cup player, and Goyo, the tour player. He says when he's on tour... He gets frustrated. He doesn't dig as deep in matches. He occasionally smashes his racket. And when he's got that team behind him, he said that just helps him to improve his attitude on court. And he needs to find a way to replicate that feeling when he's when he's out there on his own. So hopefully this week will have given him the motivation, giving him just a little glimpse of what he can do when he puts it all together. So he'll be interesting to follow. Um, and then that Medvedev-Chilich match... Gosh, Chilich was so good in that first set, wasn't he? I, but it, I wrote in my match report that he was like a football team who hadn't scored when he was on top after losing that second, after losing that tie break. You know, he he needed something to show for his effort because you know you felt like a dip was probably going to come because he was playing so well. And Medvedev, after winning that first set, would just take confidence from it, and that's exactly what happened. And Chilix didn't play quite as well in the second set and Medvedev picked his moments, attacked at the right time and sort of strolled through it really. Um, but for a set there, it was it was really close and sort of could have gone either way. He's such a great match player in that regard, isn't he? Daniil Medvedev, you know, knew exactly what he was waiting for and when to pounce and can can ride out ride out the waves and just back himself to produce when that one opening back himself to ride the wave and just go, don't, don't worry, Daniil, your moment will come. And when it does, you've got the goods to ride to to rise to it. I don't know if he he internally talks about himself in the third person. <laughs> As I was saying that, I was thinking this does this doesn't feel like Daniil's vibe. <laughs> um, but uh, 
I'd love to know what his internal monologue does sound like. Oh, um, there's a, a show. In fact, maybe we do because it's probably quite a lot like his external monologue, isn't it? Although there was disappointingly little Medvedev aggro wasn't there. Different players, internal monologues. That's something yeah. I I would love to break down yes. one by one. What's Rublev's internal monologue? Well, exactly. Like? You say stressing. I, see, when I think of Rublev, I think of some of the conversations that I have with my nine-year-old son when I'm trying to get him to concentrate and focus and and not let himself get distracted by things because he's got a job to do. And but don't you think he's too concentrated and focused on tennis? Yeah, but but the point is with him is, is Rublev just boils over and loses control of it all. And and I think that either somebody's had a word with him or he's had a word with himself before this match and he's gone, right then, I'm not going to let this happen. I'm not going to let things get to me today. And Medvedev's couldn't, I reckon his internal monologue could not be more different. It is all just, it's all, he doesn't even have to think about it. He just goes out there and he, he is himself. What's interesting is he still has his own weak point that we've seen when he kicked over the TV camera that day, when he's lost and he lost to Djokovic handsomely at the start of the year in the Australian Open final, when it when it really mattered, he just didn't show up. I mean, the match against Zverev, where he just didn't show up. Mm, yeah. Um, and, I, and I mean, look, I, I never completely know in, in those two matches because Djokovic and Zverev played so well in those matches. I don't, I sometimes think, am I not giving them enough credit for how well they've diffused him or did he just not show up and and it definitely feels like some of that as well it doesn't feel that he was powerless that he but he didn't deliver in either either of those matches so trying to work out how he gets from start of match to that point i i, I do find fascinating let's say on on rublev it, it, was, it was a shame i felt that the clearly great time he was having didn't translate to his on court performance like there was no link between how much he enjoys team events and what it does to him as a player like I think we've you know we've spoken about that just there with Goya he's a different player in this environment Rublev is the same player but he's a different sort of person he's he loved this event and he loved the Olympics with Anastasia Pavlyuchenko in the doubles it, it sort of brings out this really great side of him he's got this fantastic bromance with Aslan Karatsev. I mean, the press conference was comical. You got one end of the table, Rublev and Hatchinov sort of joking with each other and Medvedev sort of joining in as well. And they're all sort of chirping in with little comments. And then Karatsev just sat at the end, deadpan. I went to a toilet. Not, in, <laughs> not involved in any of it. And suddenly suddenly a question got directed at Karatsev and, and he very reluctantly took the microphone and started speaking and, and Rublev goes, oh, Aslan's talking. And Aslan just goes, Andre, please shut up. <laughs> oh, excellent. The, um, the photo that was put out across the Davis Cup and ITF social media channels to say Russia uh, Davis Cup champions 2021 and it was a it was a five five it was a, a montage of five individual headshots 
of the uh, of the five Russian team members. And they all looked arsy as anything, apart from Aslan Karatsev, who's doing this cheeky little smile in his <laughs> picture. It looked like he'd been given a completely different brief by the photographer. Um, Surely they did that on purpose. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I tell you what. Um, Inside joke. Rublev is really good at the old uh, spraying the champagne. Is yes. He? Yeah. Really, I was not expecting that. Medvedev was a bit rubbish. <laughs> yeah, Medvedev, I think, actually hit Rublev on the head with the champagne bottle. Oh God! Yeah, they, they, it, it, none of, none of that played out how I was expecting at all. I thought Medvedev would be an absolute pro, like him and uh, Daria after their GQ photo shoot, just go home and spray champagne around the apartment. Whereas you, th- you think Rublev um, will be like... won a Grand Prix. Rublev will be like the, the teenager who's having his first cigarette just to try yeah. it out and choking. Yes, yes, but also <laughs> thinking he can do it yeah. and looking silly. Uh, but it was completely the reverse of that. Very surprising. I am taken aback. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't able to see... Uh, uh, how good Karen Hashinov was at the old spraying the champagne. Do you think he's been? Do you think that's how he's been spending his time this week, just practicing that in his hotel room? He'd just have a can of beer, Catherine, and he's not going to bother with all that. Oh, he he, he was bothering. He was as happy as any oh, of them. Was he? Yeah, he he yeah. There was definitely no sheepishness. I w- I'm if I if I had been a sort of non-playing, non-contributing member of the team, look, I know they contribute behind the scenes. It really is a team and that has been clear with Russia and I'm sure Rublev and Medvedev feel that the non-playing members have contributed something. But I I would feel really sheepish about standing on that podium and lifting the trophy and spraying the champagne. I would just do a Homer Simpson and, and fade into the head. Do you mean like <laughs> when Rob Green got a Champions League winner's medal for being on the bench for Chelsea? Is that what you? Yes, right. exactly that. <laughs> Which I mean, I'd be, I'd be living it up. I tell you, I'd be right there saying, <laughs> "Would you? Yep. Would you really?" Big part of this. You wouldn't do a Team... John Terry and get your full kit out. No. <laughs> well, if it was Albion kit, I would. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, if I'm playing for them, I'd be right there. Uh, but no, you know, team spirit. It, it was just to reflect on sort of the day as a whole and the in in the context of the tournament as a whole. It was a it was a slightly anticlimactic final, wasn't it? The atmosphere. I mean, it was they were, they were absolutely worthy worthy winners. It was the right champions. They played well. It wasn't the the matches weren't duds by any means, but the atmosphere wasn't quite there. It wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't quite there. It just. I don't know. It it felt like a sort of a six out of ten for the final. It was all it was all fine, um, but it just wasn't the massive massive crescendo that 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 we had last year. I suppose, uh, well, two years ago, whenever it was, we were we were kind of spoiled, weren't we, with the with the first incarnation of the new Davis Cup. Yeah, and I think we can extrapolate out of that, and that probably is my overall take on the event. Really, I mean, lots of the tennis has been very good. There have been some excellent matches. We've had lots of deciding doubles matches. There's been a good mix of underdogs doing well, but also, you know, in the end, quality prevailing. You know, the sort of spirit of the competition has been maintained, I suppose, in that sense. I think the three cities worked pretty well for the group stages. 
But the thing I can't get away from, and I felt this after the Billie Jean King Cup finals as well, is that it just doesn't feel as good, as big, as grand as it should. And I think the same applied to the old format with the final, in a way, looking at it globally. You know, I think when we assess the new format, we always have to keep in mind why it changed in the first place. And there were reasons. And one of the biggest reasons was that the final wasn't, you know, a sort of global sporting event in the way that it should be. Now, by changing it, they haven't yet gained that. And obviously it needs time. Obviously the usual caveat applies with the pandemic and, you know, it hasn't really had much of a fair chance so far, but that hasn't been gained. You know, it wasn't on Eurosport TV, was it, in, in the UK yesterday. It was online only. And I'm sure that was the case in other countries as well. Difficult to watch and... And as you said, the atmosphere in the stadium didn't feel massive. But so by changing it, they haven't gained that, which they were hoping for. And you also have to say something has been lost because at least when you were at the event in the past, it felt like the most important thing in the world because everyone there was so into it, packed stadiums, partisan support. It was an incredible event to be at. And yesterday was a good event to be at, but it wasn't as special as it could be. And ultimately it's a structural problem with tennis, isn't it? You know, so many competing team events, no cross promotion from all the other tours and all the other events about this. It doesn't feel part of the narrative like it should. It just feels like a sort of add on at the end of the season where really it should be everyone coming together for this amazing team event. And we haven't got that. And as long as the tours and the calendars remain as they are, I think we're never going to get that, frankly. So I was left feeling like it had been a good tournament, but also just this feeling of, you know, it it could be and should be so much better than this. It didn't feel like the, a world cup final. No. Did it? And that's what, you know, it's, it's, it's being pitched as the world cup of tennis. And I think that's the right pitch broadly. That's what, that's what we all want Davis cup to be and to feel like, but David, it felt very, very far from, from a world cup final, didn't it? Yeah. The, the stadium looked full, but it didn't Mm. really sound full. You know, it it sounded, there were pockets, there was a decent pocket of supporters that kept getting shown on TV from Croatia and from, from Russia. And, and, you know, we'll get on to talk about the press comments that they did where they say that they they arrange and they do a lot of work with the federations to, to be able to fly in. I think they chartered a flight to bring in 150 fans or something like that, which, which is great. You know, that's a good way of doing it. But you are having to manufacture that in order to get any semblance of sort of home feeling or partisan support. And that, and that is not how it used to be. You would have a stadium that was just thumping with noise and and you could feel the ground moving beneath your feet in these stands because people were shaking and shaking the foundations of the place so much because they were so into it that is not how it felt or through the tv yesterday it felt like a good a good tour final really with a bit of a bit of extra support and noise from a pocket of of fans and yeah i don't it's so difficult to get what they want in a, in a in a venue where you 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 have a final 
four or a final eight all competing and still getting that. You, you've got to hope that Spain are the ones that end up there in order to get that feeling. And it's 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 really difficult. But I, I still think it would be possible if they if enough was put into it by all constituent parts of the tennis world um, and all the slams were behind it and the tours were behind it and it was made the big thing like the slams are. You could do it, I think. It, they, a World Cup of tennis is absolutely the way to pitch it, I agree. It is possible. It's just not happening at the moment and and I don't really see any signs of it happening in the future, the way things are going. Yeah, just to say, I've obviously been to the inaugural edition of this new format in 2019 and this edition now in in 2021 the moments i will remember mainly came at the 2019 edition i think broadly this was perhaps a more successful event but the emotional highs of 2019 with rafael nadal in particular doing what he did and roberto bautista agu doing what he did were unmatched this week I mean, it, it it didn't get close because you had Spain in 2019 going all the way through to the final, backed by vociferous home support. It was it was electric. It was magical, and I think that's one of the best weeks of Rafael Nadal's career. I really do. It was it was an extraordinary tournament from him. This was a really great achievement from the Russian team and a sort of magnificent effort from all of them but did it hit those emotional highs absolutely not i mean we only really when lopez was doing what he was doing that 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 was the only moment really um and 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 there were moments there were moments in turin as well medvedev says his emotional high was denying us all yes spain (laughs) creating that atmosphere again his emotional high was knocking out spain on their home turf so thanks (laughs) to Your, your emotional high at the expense of all our emotional highs. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. As you've hinted at, David, there were, well, actually, there were two press conferences yesterday staged by the ITF and Cosmos um, to give us a, well, it was it was pitched as giving us the, the full picture of what next year's tournament will look like. Um, and it ended up being a sort of vague glimpse, um, hazy glimpse into what next year's tournament and beyond will look like. The, the first... Uh, the first press conference was the draw for the qualifiers for next year. Um, so we'll cover that off quickly first before before discussing the, the the second press conference. So Serbia and Great Britain have been given wild cards into next year's tournament, so into next year's final. So no no qualifiers for them. Croatia and Russia are automatic qualifiers, having reached the final. So these are the qualifying ties that will be played in March. France against Ecuador, Spain against Romania, Finland, Belgium, USA versus Colombia, Netherlands, Canada, Brazil, Germany, Slovakia, Italy, Australia versus Hungary, Norway versus Kazakhstan, Sweden against Japan, Argentina versus the Czech Republic and South Korea against Austria. Um, and as you pointed out, and we were discussing this just before recording, Matt, that is a bum deal for for Germany, it feels, isn't it? I mean, yeah, they, they probably feel a little hard done by. Yeah, absolutely. They obviously beat Great Britain in the quarterfinals, progressed further in this event than Great Britain, and they haven't been given a wild card, whereas Great Britain have. And now Germany has to travel to Brazil for a qualifier. So no home tie even. Um, and that's that's a change they've actually made this year because the finals next year is reduced from... 18 teams to 16 teams, what they've done is got rid of the two automatic qualifying places for all four semi-finalists. And you had to actually reach the final to automatically qualify. So um, if if Germany had got to the semis in, in 2019, they would have automatically qualified for the finals. But because they got to the semis this year, they don't automatically qualify for the semi-finals. Why they've got, you know, why they've not got rid of wild cards and they've actually got rid of the uh, automatic semi-final qualifiers. I think is is disappointing, really. Well, is there any reason that we are aware of as to why Britain has been given that wild card? Has any explanation actually been given? A wafty one. Yeah, I mean, I, I can pull up the press conference transcript here because that was a question which was asked uh, and answered in the. Basically, press conference. there there is no scientific formula. It is a it's a it's a subjective judgment that was sort of explained but there's definitely not a a mathematical or scientific formula that goes into these wild cards i rather suspect we want to guarantee that novak djokovic plays in the davis cup finals mm-hmm. is uh is the reason for serbia um but what what was the exact wording matt uh, in terms of the second one which was to do with great britain there are many options on the table when you want to use a wild card you need to use it for, first of all, having the best teams. Probably you need to choose one team that has been a bit of a threat of not being qualified. 
you put in a balanced, if you have three options, who has more chances to be qualified in a qualifier? Then as you want to have the best teams, we went for GB. Um, and then that oh, was... I don't understand um, that. Those I'm were... really enjoying the face that you were making there, David, <laughs> while Matt was reading That's that. not sport, is it? I mean, I, look, I know there are wild cards in tennis tournaments week to week, but not not this. Come on. This is... It's, it just doesn't feel right to me. Um, yes, if, if if a tournament is staging it, like in the World Cup I, uh, in football, I understand that. I don't understand this. And it doesn't feel competitively right to just, oh, tell you what, Britain, we like you. We think you've, you know, you, you've got something to offer. We'll put you in. It just doesn't feel right. No. And not to mention, a lot of teams don't want wild cards, I don't think, because they want to have the chance to have a qualifier at home. Um, now, you know, obviously the the danger is like like for Germany, you get a qualifier that's away and, you know, you don't get any guarantee of being in the finals and you've got to go away, even though you've performed better than a team who's who's already in the finals, courtesy of a wildcard in, in Great Britain. So I agree, none of it makes makes sense for me. David, can I suggest that you you keep a bit of arsy face or certainly confused face in reserve? <laughs> For our discussion of the of the next press conference that took place uh, on Sunday in Madrid, because this was the press conference um, that had been billed as the event at which the venue and venues plural for next year's tournament would be announced. It had been very clearly billed as that press conference. And of course, we had the leaks earlier in the week about that venue being Abu Dhabi, I say leaks, it was a it was a triumphant scoop for Simon Briggs, wasn't it? Um and that 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 that, that deal was was all but signed and was scheduled to be announced uh, on Sunday. Now what we in fact had was the press conference going ahead um but very little being announced. Um they announced that the the format will change to Four venues up until the quarterfinal stage. So the group stages will be staged in four different European cities and there will be four teams in each group and in each city. So a reduction to to 16 teams of the competition and an expansion to four different host cities for the group stages. And then there was reference to a neutral venue from the quarterfinals onwards right the way through to the final. Now, how they can know it's going to be a neutral venue when they don't know who qualifies for (laughs) that stage of the competition, I don't know. Um, They said, upon some pressing, um, that there is a deal, there is a preferred option for the neutral venue that is all but signed, discussions and negotiations are advanced, but they said that it didn't feel right to formally announce what that venue would be because the deal isn't yet signed. And there was a lot of press pressing by the journalists present in the room and on Zoom. And most of the most of the big players were in that press conference, including Matt Roberts in in person. And um, you know, they were put on the spot about we were told this was a press conference to unveil the new venue. Don't don't try and don't try and hoodwink us that this was this was 
what you were planning to announce all along, what's happened to Abu Dhabi? Is this, is what we're hearing today a reaction to the negative reception that Abu Dhabi has got as a, as a proposed venue? And, and they denied that that, that was the case at all. They denied hearing any negative response to Abu Dhabi um, as a as a floated venue. And the whole thing well, was completely bizarre, frankly. It was it was it was a bizarre occasion, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very, very bizarre. It was like sort of pulling teeth, trying to get any sort of concrete information out of them. You know, they they announced that there would be four cities for the group stages they announced there'd be a neutral venue but then not only did they not announce what those venues were they didn't explain why they weren't announcing it until the journalists pressed them on it um now obviously they can't announce the venues for the groups until the qualifying has been played that is my understanding because they want the group venues to be with a host nation there present. So they need to know who's in the event in order to announce those venues. So that that does make some sense to me. And they never said in advance that they would be announcing the venues for the group stages. However, they definitely did say earlier in the week that they would be announcing the venue for the knockout stages. And obviously, as, as you said, that was reported to be Abu Dhabi. Now, why say on Monday that you're going to announce a new knockout venue and then not do it? Well, as you said, Haggerty said that that was to do with a contract having not been signed. But if you can't categorically announce somewhere without the contract being signed, don't say you're going to do it. It, it, it strikes me as as simple as that. And if something's changed, and if something's changed, then just don't hold the press conference if you're not in a position to make the announcement. Yeah, and it, it, it suggests either there's an opposition to the preferred venue or, frankly, they're worried about announcing it and having to face the backlash. And, you know, it would be easier to put out a press release um, announcing it. Now, obviously, they've denied that, and and we don't know, but that... It's very much the impression we were left with without a convincing explanation of of why everything changed within a week. Yeah, what what I fear here is that there is just going to be a press release put out this week announcing Abu Dhabi as, as the venue, um, which would make me very suspicious that the reason for what happened yesterday was that that they didn't they didn't want the inevitable the inevitable scrutiny. Um I d- maybe that's a really cynical interpretation, but it was it was such a weird occasion that it's hard not to be cynical about it. I mean, there aren't there aren't many logical explanations um, for how that press conference played out yesterday, and I don't think anybody anybody feels like it's not going to be Abu Dhabi. I mean, they they made very clear that they've they've essentially made they've made their choice, and it's just a question of formalities now before it's before it's all signed and sealed. Can, can I just say as well, aside from that element of it, I, I, I just bristle at the idea that, that a neutral venue for the knockout stages is a good thing. Isn't the whole point that you want to create this feeling of, of, a, of a, if you possibly can, a home nation, so that you can get that incredible atmosphere? And David it, wants to see what Abu Dhabi have got as a Davis Cup team. Well... I mean, I just you know that that there's a 
I mean, we've already talked about how that's basically a guarantee of of a problem in terms of of atmosphere, and and they're gonna ha- and they talked about working incredibly hard to. They believe they can leverage their national associations to fly in all sorts of people, and obviously that there are expats, etc. But wouldn't isn't the idea that you you don't want a neutral venue so that you can at least have one of the teams that are left to be to have a, have a vocal support? I, I just don't. I don't understand why that's regarded as a good thing. Well, I think it goes back to exactly what you said before, David. I think a neutral venue could work if everything in tennis was put into it. But given the current situation, it's way better when you have a home nation involved at the final stages. Like, you know, compare 2019 to 2021 of the Davis Cup finals. 2019 was better down the stretch because you had Spain there. Whereas this year essentially was a neutral venue for the knockout stages and it was fine it was good but it wasn't really really special yeah and look i'm i'm sure i'm sure um if they were able to speak candidly then they might say look well we can only we can only muster the forces required to try and get the whole of tennis into it if we have the funds and the resources to do so in Abu Dhabi are the are the people offering those funds and resources. But oh well, we can't deep dive on it now because it hasn't formally formally been announced. But um, you know, we've we've got recent and strong examples of how cash doesn't have to be king in sport. There is more. Um, uh, a way has been shown. Um, so look, we'll we'll have this exact same discussion again when when the inevitable or seemingly inevitable announcement is is made. But yeah, that's half an hour of my life yesterday that I'm that I'm not getting back. More than half an hour, in fact. Not that I feel aggrieved about that at all. Um so that's it for the Davis Cup until we have this exact same discussion in a few days. But that is it for the Davis Cup. Matt gets to come home. <laughs> it feels like you've been out there for 400 years, Matt. <laughs> I mean, I have been here a very, very long time and it, and it feels like it. And I woke up this morning to an email from the ATP telling me that the ATP Cup draw will be revealed tomorrow and part of me <laughs> died inside. <laughs> Tennis, tennis is stupid. So absolutely stupid. stupid. I mean, good job we love it. Andy Andy Murray's <laughs> playing this exhibition in Abu Dhabi in in ten days. Andre Rublev's playing sort of, in ten days. That's no, technically he's not. He's not. that's technically the sort of season opener, isn't it? I know it's an EXO, but traditionally that's been the sort of the sight you see on the telly in the depths of British winter and go, oh, tennis is coming. It's happening in 10 days. Anyway, I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't got a holiday in the Maldives and a training block to squeeze in, so I'm, I'm up for it. But I don't, I mean, I worry for these tennis players. Um, but yes, yeah, the off-season se- off starts now, folks. Enjoy it. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. This is our last tournament review of 2021. Um, 
because it's the last tournament of 2021, technically. Um, we will be back next week, though, with our review of the year. Um, and we have a, a couple more listener question specials um, that we'll be bringing you before the end of the year as well. So don't worry, we're not abandoning you. If you want more from us, then Friends of the Tennis Podcast launches this Wednesday. Could be today if you're listening to it on Wednesday. Who knows when you're listening to this? Could be tomorrow, could be yesterday. But it launches on Wednesday, the 8th of December at 3 p.m. UK time. So that's 10 a.m. East Coast time in the States. Uh, what's that? It's it's 5 a.m. West Coast time. Um, don't get up at 5 a.m. It's it's not going anywhere. You can, yeah, you can wait. No, get get um, up, get up, get up. <laughs> it'll include so with the launch it'll include our new editions of tennis relived next year friends only listener q a's and an extra podcast after every slam uh, plus more exclusive content don't worry the weekly shows and the daily grand slam shows will still be like the nhs free at the point of use for all listeners but there will be fabulous extra content available to all friends of the tennis podcast. So if you would like to become a friend of the tennis podcast and would like to join our reminder list to be the first to know when it goes live, although I have just told you when it goes live, 3pm UK time on Wednesday, uh, there is a link to join that reminder list yeah, in the show notes. But, but they won't get the link unless they're on the reminder list. So yes, yes, because it would not be good radio for me to just read out a link. Can, can I also right say now. your West Coast timing understanding needs a bit of work, Catherine? It, it is, was that wrong? It's 7 a.m., isn't That's it? right, yeah. <laughs> 7 a.m., yeah, which is actually a perfectly reasonable yeah. time to be up. I mean, not for me, but for normal. Say, Some planning's you? So gone into do, this, you know. Do get up. Do do get up. Do get up and uh, and for the launch for the big launch. Uh, no, I promise it's going to be great. Um, so yes, do join us uh, on Wednesday for the launch and check out the link in the show notes. More than two thousand people have done it. People are doing it. It's the cool thing to do. I promise. Um, we have a very special mascot for this week on the tennis podcast. I'm gonna I'm gonna really try and. Um, control myself here folks i really am but i'm looking at a picture of otis an absolutely beautiful dog wearing wearing a christmas outfit and reindeer antlers he belongs to our uh one of our listeners tracy collins who um got in touch with us recently to tell us that uh, his son's beloved dog otis is in his last year of life because of cancer that's already led to an amputation um, of of his of, oh three legged dogs. David, I can't. It's getting to me. He's lovely. Um, he's lovely, um, and he's asked if uh, if Otis could be squeezed into our mascot roster for the year. And absolutely, of course, he ha- can. He is a beauty. Uh, we've also got a picture of Otis with Tracy. Um, and I'm trying to diagnose what what breed he is. I think a, a sort of lab spaniel cross, maybe. That's my guess, Tracy. Do let us know. Um, anyway, he's an absolute beauty. I know he's been a, a very important member of Tracy's family, um, as all dogs are. And we wish we wish Otis a very wonderful time for however much time he has left. Um, and I hope, yeah, I hope you're able to enjoy that time with Otis. 
Um, we have our mascots. Oh my God, we've been doing this 48 minutes and uh, I haven't gloated about Russia winning and me getting the points yet. Right, there we go. That, it's, yep. it's happened. Well done. I mean, it was hardly a bold prediction, was it? But anyway, Zeus, we've done it. We've ended on a high. Uh, Rogue and Scouse or Mouse all sucks to be you. But thank you for... <laughs> Honorary mention, I would say, for, for Rogue after our Croatia near miss. Mm, no, that's not how it works. Uh, sorry, Rogue and Scouse or Mouse, that you've been let down. By your sponsees. Uh, Billie Jean King has never been let down by Billie Jean, who is tucked under my right arm as we speak. She's managed to keep quiet throughout the recording. So well done, Billie Jean. Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and all around top bloke. Thank you, Chris Albert Lee. And do we have a shout out, Matt? Yes. Final shout out of the year. Wow. Four. Big. Is it is it someone that lives with David? <laughs> It's 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 not something that's with David, and it is a it is one I'm going to struggle to pronounce. So here we go. Is this why you've left them to the very end, Matt? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Um, if I was pronouncing it in a French accent, I would say Lord Castro, but perhaps it's Lordes Castro. Anyway, like Madonna's daughter. How does she pronounce? She's called. It? Uh, don't look at me. Lourdes. Lourdes, I think. But I don't think her surname is Castro. Well, it's a great name, Lourdes. It's a great name. <laughs> Thanks ever so much for your support, Lord, Lourdes. Lourdes. I think it's Lord. Oh. Anyway, it is a fabulous name, however it's pronounced. What a brilliant, brilliant way to end our shout-outs for the year. If, you, if you'd like to have a shout-out for next year, become a friend of the Tennis Podcast, which you can do from 3 p.m. UK time on Wednesday. Matt, get yourself home safely. It's been uh, a treat and a triumph to have you out in the, in Madrid. David, just stay and hang out in Solihull. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> done. Uh, we'll be back uh, on Monday with our next tennis podcast, but there is more com content coming to you on Wednesday uh, via our launch of Friends of the Tennis Podcast. So do check out that link in the show notes for now. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 